Amen. Take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. We've been in our Seasons Greetings series, and uh, obviously today we're a little bit shorter on time. We're going to move rather quickly, but we are talking today about another encounter that took place in the uh, New Testament. Obviously, Seasons Greetings. We're talking about angelic encounters, and we've already talked about Mary. We talked about Zach. Zacharias and, uh, of course, Elizabeth, who would ultimately bear John, Mary, who would bear the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we want to talk about and address another uh, season's greeting, another angelic uh, appearance. And we're going to talk about Joseph today for just a few moments. Again, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, the Bible tells us, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from, the, from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we come to you, we ask, Lord, in these next few moments, that, Father, you would speak to our hearts, that you'd work in our lives, enable us, Lord, to receive exactly what you'd have for us. Holy Spirit, drive home these truths into the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls. And Father, may we, Father, leave here different than we did when we came. Father, help us, Lord, to truly embrace your truth and apply it to our lives. Thank you again for the love that you have demonstrated on Calvary and for the fact that you indeed sent yourself. You literally came on our behalf and died and took our place on Calvary, paying for our sin. And we ask that you would just encourage us again from your word this next few moments, and we'll give you the glory and the honor. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit, and Lord, may you do a work in hearts and lives as only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now it only makes sense that when the time came for the Virgin Mary to have a child, that she would need a husband. And of course, we know that her and her husband Joseph would raise the baby Jesus. He needed a father in those early years. Although he was God himself, he still was a child and needed the leadership of a dad and needed the leadership of a father. And the man that God chose was none other than Joseph. Joseph was a hardworking carpenter. He did not have much means. He scraped out a living day by day. But Joseph actually seemed to be somewhat of an unlikely choice. I mean, when you think about Jesus, who is God in flesh, You think about Jesus who would ultimately come according to the Old Testament prophecies and establish a throne and kingdom by which to rule upon. You would think that he'd be raised in a palace, that he'd be surrounded by the comforts and conveniences of, of power and prosperity. You would think that he would be schooled possibly in elements of the kingdom and, and in the ways of kings. 
but not Jesus. Jesus didn't need that kind of schooling because his kingdom was not of this world, nor had his time time to rule had come to fruition yet. But in the meantime, before uh, he would establish that kingdom and between that time, he needed to be raised in a home where a mom and a dad would be there for him. Of all the millions of men, millions and millions of men who have ever lived, God chose Joseph. What a remarkable man this Joseph must have been. What an amazing couple God had assembled. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. There's an espousal that's taken place. That means that the two of them were bound to be married. It was a contractual obligation in those days. The betrothal period would generally last about 12 months, and then a formal wedding ceremony would occur. The two would consummate their marriage and establish their home at that point. But during that betrothal period, the bride would remain living with her parents. Physical relationships were forbidden. If indeed they were involved in that kind of relationship, it would be treated as though they had committed adultery and they were worthy of stoning. Betrothal was so formal, it was so binding, that to break that particular agreement required what was often called a certificate of divorcement. And they had to take that, uh, just as though they had been actually married itself. That's how binding this contract was. So in essence, they were as married as anybody in this room is married today. Then came the news. Mary was with child. Matthew 1.18 again, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I don't know whether the news came from Mary or whether Mary's dad stepped up to the plate and went and talked to Joseph, I'm not sure. But what I do know for sure is that news had to be extremely devastating to Joseph. Such a crushing blow of disappointment would have probably left Joseph rather numb and probably reeling in disbelief. It's got to be difficult to imagine. I mean, uh, Joseph's thinking to himself, wait a second, this is Mary. This is my beloved Mary. We're talking about Mary, who, whose character is above reproach. Mary, who never did anything, uh, obviously, that was too awfully bad. She certainly wouldn't go out and do something like this. i got to believe that Joseph was in disbelief, even. The Bible identifies Joseph as being a just man. The definition of just means guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness. And that fact that he was a just man, we're told, played a part or a factor in how he would deal with the situation now. In Matthew 1.19, the Bible says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Again, according to the law of Moses, Joseph could have literally had Mary publicly stoned. Instead, he contemplated putting her away privily. Why would he do that? Why would he just simply say, you know what, I'm going to have this contract voided through a a, a, a step of divorcement. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just go ahead and have her stoned like the law would permit? Well, because obviously he loved Mary and he still cared for her. He probably, as I said earlier, struggled to believe that she was even capable of such behavior. 
He still hadn't even wrapped his mind around this. It was so hard for him to grasp. Her character and integrity had been unquestioned to this point. How in the world could this even be happening? What a bombshell had been dropped. It's amazing. I can't even imagine what was going through his mind at this time. And in Matthew 1.20, while he thought on these things, while he was contemplating putting her away privily, while he wondered how to handle the situation and exactly what to do, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. We have that season's greetings now. We have this angel meeting with Joseph. A virgin birth, he's told. Mary, the mother of God, and you, Joseph, the earthly father of the Messiah. <laughs> Man, all of that in a moment. I got to imagine again that Joseph felt a little overwhelmed as he arose from sleep that day. I can't imagine how I would have responded. I can't imagine what I would have done. I would like to think that I responded like Joseph. The Bible tells us in Matthew 1, then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Joseph literally believed God's word. He simply obeyed God. He went through with the wedding as commanded despite the inevitable rumors. The constant whispers of family, friends, and neighbors, and the unjust but understandable accusations that would swirl around for a lifetime. He still went through with it. He still did as God had commanded. What a man. What a woman. But most of all, what a Savior. As fascinating as these encounters have been, as inspirating as these biblical characters may be, season's greetings are all about the Messiah. No matter how you slice it, it always comes up Jesus. He is the reason for the season. The angel says, for he shall save his people from their sins. As much as the emphasis and focus is on Joseph and Mary and what their responsibilities would be toward the toward the, the Son of God, the fact is, is it's about the Son of God. That's who it's really all about. Christ would first go to his own, the Bible tells us, meaning the Jews. But they would receive him not. After all the miracles and the messages, still the Jews repented not. Still they would, they would be heard crying, crucify him, crucify him. And so the Savior turned to all mankind and offer, offered salvation to all. When we consider this word salvation in the Scriptures and its meaning, we understand that it possesses the idea of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. And throughout the Scripture, there are words that are used to describe this salvation. And you may hear them from time to time and you think, well, what's that mean? Well, it's all pointing to salvation. When you hear the word justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, forgiveness, sanctification, glorification, all of those words describe this salvation. All of those words are part of it. But before we define this salvation any further, and before we discuss it anymore, what is this sin that he came to save us from? I mean, the Bible says, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
Joseph, I want you to understand that that which has been conceived in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. It is nothing other than Emmanuel, God with us. But the purpose of this whole issue is not to make your life miserable. It's not to make things uncomfortable. It is to provide a Savior for the world. He will save His people from their sin. So what does this sin have to do? What is this all about? Well, in Scripture, God describes sin by using words like transgression. The act of passing over or beyond any law or rule of moral duty. Basically disregarding the commandments of God. He uses word, a word like iniquity. He'll use that word from time to time. It's an act that's inherently wrong. Whether it's expressly forbidden or not. It's doing or saying something when you know down deep you shouldn't. He uses a word like trespass from time to time. It means to intrude or to go too far. The burglar trespassed on your property. That person trespassed. They went too far. It's to willfully violate a moral law or a known duty. I know what God's word said, but I choose to go beyond it. I will not follow it. I'll not do it. Unbelief. It's hard to believe, but the word unbelief itself points to sin. Disbelief of the truth of the gospel. Rejection of Jesus Christ as the Savior of men. And of all the doctrines that he taught and everything that he gave us. Distrust of God's promises and his faithfulness. All are unbelief. And unbelief, the Bible says, is sin. Sin can be summarized as disobedience to the express will and word of God. You've never done that, have you? The absence of righteousness and the state of being at odds with God. We're not right with Him. We're out of touch and out of tune. But when you add it all up, sin simply means to miss the mark. In the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a failure to meet the divine standard, to live up to God's holy and righteous standard, standard of perfection. And this standard was outlined in the Old Testament, and it was given to us in the Ten Commandments. If there's any question as to whether or not we measure up to God's perfect standard of holiness, we need only read the Ten Commandments, and we are proven less than equal. As a matter of fact, turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3, verse 19. We think about commands like, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. And so on and so forth. As we read through that list of Ten Commandments, we are sure that we have not measured up. Especially as the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear, is it's not just what we do, it's what we think. If we've committed adultery in our heart, we've committed adultery already, he says. So therefore, there's more than just the deeds, there is the thought even. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, notice what the purpose of the law was according to the book of Romans. As Paul the Apostle writes to the church at Rome, he makes it very clear. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." 
What he's saying is, is as you take that law and you put it on this side and you take yourself and you put it on this side, you begin to compare your lifestyle and your choices and your, your deeds to that law right there. It says, now measure up. How do you do? And you say, I fall miserably short. He says that's exactly the purpose of the law. The law was never intended to lead you to Jesus Christ in the sense of saving you. Or take that back. It was meant to lead you to Christ. It was never meant to save your soul. People say, if I could only turn over a new leaf, if I could only live a better life, if I could only do better things for others, if I could only get rid of this anger in my heart or this, this, this contempt in my mind or possibly this lust in my soul, if I could get rid of that, then I'd be fine. But I'm telling you, you can't turn over enough leaves. You can't do enough good deeds. The fact is, is that when we compare ourselves to the law, those Ten Commandments, we all fall miserably short. And that was the purpose of it. Because the fact is, is that not one person in this room or around this world can do enough to earn a place in heaven. There's not one of us whose hearts is clean enough or pure enough or holy enough. We are all just sinners at the very root, at the very foundation of our being. We are born into sin, we will live in sin, and we will die in sin. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the church at Rome. He's telling it to a people who had abandoned the law, who had said, listen, it's not the law that's going to get us to heaven. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And they said, we're going to believe in Jesus Christ who died on an old cross all those years ago. And in those days, it was only 30 years later. And they're saying, we remember Jesus and how he died for us on Calvary. We want Christ in our life. We're trusting Jesus to get us to heaven, to wash us from our sin. Not that that law, because that law will only send us to a place called hell. I'm going to tell you what, Joseph that day, he heard from that angel, and his life was upheaved that day. It was turned upside down. He didn't know what to do, but that angel says, listen, there's a bigger, there's a bigger deal here. There's more to this story, Joseph. It's not really about you, and it's not about Mary. It's about the sin of the world and the need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. In Romans 6, 23, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That means that the penalty of sin is death. We, we die all the time, and there are folks all around us that are dying, and that is proof positive that we're all sinners. But hold on, there's more to that story, too. It goes far deeper than that. The Bible says in Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's not just a physical death. That's one death. There's also a second death. A spiritual death. And you say, what is it? Well, the Bible says, as we noted already in Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Do you know what happens to you and I when we fail to receive and accept Christ as our Savior? And we die in our sin? We go to a place called hell. But my friend, that's not where it ends. It ends in Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, he says. What it means then is that I will live my life on this earth without Jesus Christ. I will die without Jesus Christ. And I will spend my life being cast, I will go to a place called hell. But it's not over yet because hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire where I will spend an eternity separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, one of the great preachers of all time, Years ago he lived, back in the, the, the 18, 19th century, 1800s. He says, in hell there is no hope. 
They have not even the hope of dying, the hope of being annihilated. They are forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell, there is written forever. In the fires there, blaze out the words forever. Above their heads they read forever. Their eyes are galled and their hearts are pained with the thought that it is forever. Oh, if one could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out and that those who were lost might be saved, there'd be jubilee in hell at the very thought of it. But it cannot be, for it is forever. They are, they are lost into the outer darkness. My friend today, I'm telling you there's a serious penalty for our sin, and it's to be separated forever from, in a place called the lake of fire. Separated forever from God himself. But Jesus, the Bible tells us, came to save. It says, for he shall save his people from their sins. Hey, that Jew might have rejected him back in that day, but God opened up salvation to everyone, including the Gentile. And today, you and I needn't go to hell. Today, you and I needn't be deceived by the devil into believing that we're all right. We can recognize and understand by those Ten Commandments and by the Word of God that we are indeed the sinners that Jesus Christ came to save, and that it is our sin that will separate us forever in a place called the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ... Not only is he the reason for the season, he is the way out of hell and out of that place called the lake of fire. I don't need Jesus Christ. I'm doing fine on my own. But see, life is not over yet. If you think earth is hell, friend, you haven't experienced nothing. I run into people sometimes that say, I believe we're, we're in, uh, we're, it's hell on earth. It might be in your mind, in your eye, friend, and it may be seriously bad, and I feel bad for you, and I pity you. But friend, let me tell you something. The day you open your eyes up in the place called hell, you will regret the day you rejected Jesus Christ. You wish to God you had received him and accepted him and that you paid closer attention to his word and to his truths. Preacher, it's supposed to be Christmas. This is what you get, like, in the middle of summer. No, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the reason for the season, friend. It's all about Jesus. We can go ahead and take the emphasis off of the Lord Jesus Christ today and put it on someone or something else. We can sing all the songs about a happy, holly jolly Christmas. But friend, there is no happiness nor is there joy in Christmas if there is no Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus offered himself a sacrifice on your behalf. That's why he came to earth. That's why he came as a virgin-born Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. That's why there could not be a father involved, an earthly father, because he had to live a sinless, perfect life. And if he had an earthly father, he'd be born into sin like every one of us is. From the moment Adam sinned in the garden, every person since has been born into sin, will live in sin and die in sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's the sin of Adam. But Jesus wasn't born of a man. He was born of the Holy Ghost. He had a human body, but he was all God, all man, simultaneously. 
And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, with precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We read in the book of Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ bearing your sin and mine on the cross paying the penalty of our sin so that we could escape the penalty of sin, which is to be eternally separated from Him forever and ever and ever in a place called the lake of fire. Today, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know who you are necessarily or where you've been. You might be visiting here for the first time, and I'll tell you this. I I don't always go off on this subject, but friend, this morning I am burdened and concerned about your soul, and I want to see you go to heaven and not split hell wide open one day. Please trust Christ. Please receive this Savior. Joseph, that day, man, there he was, and he says to the angels, oh my, you're telling me that Mary is going to birth God in flesh that she is literally with child of the Holy Ghost and that I'm going to be the earthly father of the Messiah, man, that had to be mind-blowing to him. But the angel makes it clear it's not about you. It's not about Mary, and it's not even just about a little baby. It's about that child who will grow to be a man that lived a sinless, perfect life. It's about God-man. Jesus Christ, who will die on a cross and pay for our sin. And as he puts it, he shall save his people from their sins. Have you been saved from your sin? Because if you haven't, today is the wonderful day to settle it. Today is the day. Get it done today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To escape the flames, you just simply need to admit your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord and Savior. You say, how do I do that? By calling on him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You must receive and accept him. You must say, Jesus, I'm convinced that you literally came, not so we could just celebrate a holiday, not so we could just give presents to one another, not so we could just get a few days off of work. I am convinced that you came because you came to forgive my sin, to deal with my sin, and to enable me to escape the penalty of it. You came as my Savior, and I want you in my life today. I need you in my life. Forgive me, save me, and come into my life today. So you need to call on him and ask him today. You say, well, I I would feel awkward. I don't know what that would mean. You know what? You don't have to have all the answers. What you need to know is that Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins and that you are willing to let him do so by inviting him into your life and allowing him to be your savior. Season's greetings are all about the Messiah. No matter how you slice it, it comes up Jesus. He is still the reason for the season. Don't allow this opportunity to slip away. Trust Christ today while there's still hope and there's still time.
Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd be with us today. Thank you again, Father, for your word and for the simplicity of it. Lord, we thank you that you did indeed send your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that, Lord, we can truly trust and receive the Lord Jesus into our life. And as a result, our sin can be washed away, can be cleansed. Thank you, Father, that you came to save your people from their sin. And Lord, today you've opened salvation up to us and we stand here today grateful and thankful. And Lord, for that person, maybe one or many in this room who have yet to trust and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, who seeks to escape and to miss out on the penalty of sin, we pray, Lord, that they would have the courage and you'd give them the very faith they need to receive and accept Christ even this day. Lord, we will thank you and we'll praise you for it. In just a moment, we're going to have the music play. And when the music begins to play, you need to make your way to the altar and see somebody up front who can show you from the word of God how you can apply this truth to your life, how you can simply invite Christ into your life so that you recognize it's not a Baptist thing, it's not a church thing, it's a Bible thing. It is simply the Lord Jesus Christ who came 2,000 years ago to pay for your sin. He wants to be your savior. That's why he came. Will you let him be your savior today if you haven't already? I pray that you will. Father, now bless. Bring conviction and change to lives. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.